0: It is going to be a weird week, Poppy. I mean, I get to see your face all the time because in the broadcast booth, we are not required to wear the masks that we have been up until this week, required to wear everything else around the arenas that we visit. But when I was walking into the odd on Sunday for Rangers and Storm, I got about 15 steps away from my car and thought, oh, forgot my mask, turned around, went to pick up the mask and then it hit me. This is the last time that Sunday that I'm going to have to do this because as of this week, no more masks in Ontario hockey league arenas. It's going to be weird, but I'm kind of looking forward to seeing people's faces in the arena again.
1: I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, if I'm being honest, this past weekend, I saw a lot of faces in the (laughs) (laughs) audience.
0: That's true. Well, if you're actively eating or drinking though, you know how it goes, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. They were actively eating and drinking (laughs) while watching the game, but um, no, you know what? It it will be nice. I'm hoping that th- we're getting closer to normal, and the people will start to come out to the games a little more. I think we saw it this weekend. Two of the best crowds that we've had at the odd, anyway. Um, obviously, in the past entire in the entire season, I was going to say the past two years, but yeah, canceled last year. Um, definitely the best couple of crowds that we've seen at the odd, and I'm hoping that once people can be in there and they don't have to worry about the masks. Um, That will get more people, but I'm also a little worried that once there's no masks and unvaccinated people are allowed back in that some of the vaccinated people might not feel as comfortable going to games. So we may not see the crowds that we're hoping
0: for. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think if I have my math right, it was crowds number four and five that surpassed 5,000 at the auditorium this weekend, just over 5,000, 5,008 on the Friday night versus Erie and then 5,800 plus. Fifty-eight forty-four for Rangers and Storm on Sunday. I think a lot of things contribute to that. A lot of lo- uh, minor hockey teams were there, Guelph in the proximity and stuff. But we should give a shout-out to whoever those guys were on Friday night with the 5,008. There might have been a dozen or so. They were across the arena from us. But let me emphasize that. They were across the arena from us, and we could hear them up in our broadcast booth because these guys came for a good time. And that's what they had and shout out to them for making the arena feel that energy again. It was clean. It was fun. It was loud. It was awesome.
1: Yeah. They were singing both anthems um, with Saginaw in town and, um, or was that, was that Eerie? That was Yeah, Sorry. That was the Erie game. My apologies. Um, yeah. With Erie in town, they sang both anthems. They were chanting, go Rangers, go. They were chanting goalie goal. They were just having a blast. And even with talking with some of the players afterwards, when they went out for the three stars, the two Rangers that got stars both pointed up to that group because they were so loud. And when you get that kind of atmosphere, it's, you know, it's a lot of fun to play in. And they were it was an electric atmosphere. It was great. The players appreciated it. I
0: loved it. It was awesome. All right. We've got a lot to uh, discuss before we get to our guest on the podcast this week. One of the, the bigger discussions is something that we'll carry over from the media room in Kitchener on Sunday when we got into a conversation with some scouts. And it led to I, I think something that we should address here about how this game, uh, maybe even specifically in the Ontario Hockey League, is being played right now. Before we get to that, though, a couple of players to single out. Uh, Let's start up in Barrie, where the Colts are going to get Tyson Forrester back. Thank you very much, Philadelphia, from the American Hockey League back to the Ontario Hockey League. And this is a massive add or re-add for the Barrie Colts. Expected Forrester is to start playing by the end of this month. And that will not hurt your playoff prospects in Barrie.
1: No, it will not. Uh, kind of in the middle of the Eastern conference right now are the Barry Colts. But when you can get a player like Tyson Forrester back into your lineup, when you don't have to give up anything, even if it is a couple months after the trade deadline, um, gearing up for a playoff run. Now that Barry team, which we've said numerous times can beat any team on any night. It seems like gets such a boost to their top line. When you get a guy like Tyson Forrester back uh, 23rd overall to the Philadelphia Flyers two years ago in 2020, probably would have been playing pro or up in the up in the big time, if not for a rough start to the season for Forrest health-wise. But I just think getting him back in that Barry Colts lineup just sends everyone down another notch and gives, you know, he's one of the elite goal scorers in the league right now, just coming in without even playing a game. Um, and then to get them back, that's a team that I don't think a lot of Eastern Conference foes want to see in the playoffs.
0: You, you uh, don't want to take anything away from some of those other Eastern Conference foes. Obviously, you've got Wisdom and and Wright and Kromiak and in Kingston. You got Brandon Cohen Company in North Bay, Mississauga and their great goaltending duo. And I've been pumping Hamilton's tires since the trade deadline, getting both Jackye and McTavish, arguably the best defenseman and the best forward in the league. But you add Forrester to the Barry Colts, who already have Brant Clark on the back end. And all of a sudden, maybe that conversation is similar. Here's what I think is the best outcome of all of this. I really believe that this is going to be the year, the first year in a long time, Chris, that we have seen first round upsets. I'm not necessarily going to say an eight over one, but I'm telling you, I just get the feeling that nobody really knows who anybody else is. The other guy we're about to talk about puts a team in the West. That's usually a pretty powerful team in a real precarious position as the playoffs approach. So who knows, does the goaltending duo and Mississauga Saga withstand the the pressure of the playoffs and a stretch run. And and who knows does right and wisdom and everybody else come alive in Kingston. I think it's going to be really interesting. And I think we might see some first round surprises. How about on the Western side, the Owen sound attack who looked poised to finish fifth or sixth, pardon me, but does anybody want a piece of that team right now? Holy Hannah, are they flying along?
1: Yeah. I think in the, in the East there's like six or almost maybe even six or seven teams that, you know, could beat any team on any given night. I think in the West, there is a little bit more separation between the top and the bottom. But even in those bottom teams, I don't think there's any team that someone really wants to play against. Like, Kitchener seems to be putting things together a little bit right now, playing better hockey. They have the forwards that can put up the points. They have Pavel Chayan who can steal games for them. Um, Owen Sound flying right now. Nobody wants to – and they have home ice advantage every game they play up at the Bay shore. So to, do you want to go in there twice at least to try to beat the attack team that are so good in that building? You got down in, even in Sarnia guy like Ben Godreau, do you want to play him? He can steal an entire series for you. Erie's flying right now. They're hardworking team, four lines that just flow. Not, not a lot of game breakers offensively, but they they're hard workers. And in a playoff series, when the game gets tight, that's, the kind of hockey they play. So they've been playing playoff hockey since BJ Adams took over. Uh, So yeah, there's a lot of transparency and I'm I'm with you. I think we will see at least one or two upsets, which you don't normally see in this league in the first round.
0: Exactly. So I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that aspect of it. And in Sarnia, you mentioned Godro and then you can't overlook Anson Thornton. Like it's a great combination and goal for that club. So, and just imagine just, just, Imagine if that's the 2 7 matchup. If Sarnia comes in seventh and the London Knights are number two and Sarnia has owned London this season, and that's the other team we wanted to talk about because how much do the London Knights miss Brett Brochu? He got injured in a game versus the Kitchener Rangers earlier this month. Uh, there was no collision on the play, he just tweaked something, left the ice. Uh, if you include that game, it's a total of eight games now that Brochu, he played part of that one. I think it was the second period, no, first period. First period. Yeah, because I'm trying to remember what end of the ice he was in. Anyway, so seven games plus two periods, no Brett Brochu. And including that game that he left where the Rangers scored four to beat London four to two, uh, 46 goals against the London Knights in eight games. That is a monster number and just shows how valuable Brochu is to that London Knights team
1: do the math for our listeners and
0: myself uh just almost almost just under it's a shade under six six goals a game
1: thank you uh yeah that's a lot and that's something <laughs> you don't you don't see with Brett Brucho or Brett Brochu pardon me um in goal and I I've said it all year long that it, he is the x factor when it comes to the OHL and yes I think like you talked about pumping Hamilton's tires. I think everyone knows Hamilton's a good team and probably the favorite to win in the league when you go out and get Jack Guy and McTavish at the deadline to add to the likes of Nishak and Winterton and so on and so forth. But Brett Brochu, no, no other team has him. Hamilton doesn't have him. Flint doesn't have him. No one does. He is the only elite goaltender in this league with all due respects to Ben Gaudreau. I think Ben Gaudreau is fantastic and he's a very good goaltender. Brochu's a little older. Brochu's a little more experienced. He is the only elite goaltender in this league. There is no one else that has a Brett Brochu. London can play the style that they can play because they know Brochu's there to bail them out. How many times have we seen it this year and even games with Kitchener where London's playing a little more open, a little more free spirited, and Kitchener will have two or three chances in a row, but Brochu's there. Two on ones, breakaways. Brochu stops them. He's a game changer and he's the one. and. In the playoffs, we we all know goaltending becomes all more important. It's right under the microscope, and when you have a guy like Brett Brochu who's proven who who can do it, is one of the best goaltenders in the CHL. He was on Team Canada's World Junior team, and you're seeing it just how important he is. I'm sure you know the loss of Steerel uh, set Steklov off their back end, and Logan Mayu that doesn't help either. But when you have a guy like Brett Brochu who continues to bail you out over and over, and just makes the saves he needs to make, and then you have Really, some rookies as backups, and they're struggling right now. They're bringing in people from everywhere trying to find an answer until they get Brochu back.
0: Yeah, it's 5.75 to be exact goals per game allowed in Brochu's absence. It's interesting when you talk about um, him as a player and being a difference maker. Uh, I'll, I'll leave the names out to protect the innocent, but just in a conversation with a scout not long ago, Uh, he not high on brochure at all look it's an individual's opinion but thought that maybe there's uh, a little bit too much inflation of of what he means but I think this speaks volumes and when you've got a team that features the likes of Luke Evangelista and Tony Strongis and Sean McGurn etc you you talked about Stekloff and Mayu also missing time on the back end which is huge obviously and factors into the brochure effect as well but There have been some that have been wondering if this was a flaw in the design of this particular edition of the London Knights because it's just it's not been very London Knights hockey in the time that Broshu's been away. They've been three and five over the stretch. That's not London Knights esque at all.
1: No, but it just goes to show, like we talked about it before the season, the importance of goaltending in this league. I I talked to it in the preseason. I said bet the over on every game in the first two months because there's so many new goalies coming into this league and it's a hard thing for rookie goaltenders to do. And that's what we're seeing here in London. Cause they don't have a backup plan. So they have all these young goalies who haven't played. And we know Dale likes to ride brochure. He's played 42 games, I think, or something crazy right now. Like, so he's taking a lot of the experience away from some of the backups because he is so good. So these young guys are basically starting their season right now. They've only played five, six, seven games. So when you have a rookie who's not experienced, and you're going up against teams that have that are 50 games into a season, you're kind of behind the eight ball, and that's what's happening in London right now. And they're going to have to figure something out. Their back end is ridiculously stacked, but when you lose guys like Steklov and Mayu and Brochu all at once, kind of thing, <laughs> those are three big pieces to be missing. The way that team's made up, and we didn't talk about it, but Tony Ostrange is basically trying to do it. All himself right now like his goal the other night was Forget absolutely <laughs> ridiculous I've only seen it done once before and it was when mm-hmm. I was playing NHL on PlayStation like it was next level unreal goal of the year done over end of sentence period done I 30 think full stop
0: the uh the biggest thing working in London's favor is that they were able to build up a big enough cushion in the Midwest division that they're still very likely to finish second in the conference and then obviously draw the lower seed. But again, as we talked about, if that that seventh place team is the Sarnia Sting, I don't know that you want, you want a piece of that when you're London. Nonetheless, it, it'll be interesting. We want obviously the best for brochu, but this is a, a glaring hole in the London Knights armour. Uh, right now as we head into the playoff run. Six okay. one and
1: one, I think, Sarnia
0: against London this year. Yeah. It's is what is what Eddie make, told
1: me when I went downstairs the other
0: night. Go make sense of that. Like, please, I'll I'll wait because I don't know the answer to it. They've had this mastery over the nights even before Brochute got hurt. So it's wild. I have no idea. And just this past weekend, to finish off that thought, Sarnia was down four three going into the third on home ice versus London and won ten to four. Seven goals in the third period for the Sarnia Sting. Max Nemestikoff and Ty Voigt were having themselves a day versus London. So there you go. But,
1: see, even looking at that, like seven goals in a period, like that's crazy. But you can you can understand when you look at it that this is a young rookie goaltender in net. He lets in two or three and all of a sudden he gets in his head going, Oh no, game's getting close, like it's tied now. What what do we do? Oh no, we're down a goal. And then all of a sudden another another one goes in and your confidence goes from where it was here, where it's normally way up here, but now it's down here. And then you get another couple goals and your confidence just plummets and you can't stop anything at that point. You're in your own head and goaltending's fifty percent
0: physical, ninety percent mental. Thank you, Yogi. Love to hear it. All right to the uh to the bigger matter at hand, and we kind of touched on this last week, Popey, when we talked about the eight-game suspension to Brandt Clark of the Barry Colts. Obviously, he unloads on Jan Mieschak of the Hamilton Bulldogs. Meshack is back now, which is—I think he only missed one game, two at the most. But it, listen, it was a big open ice hit. When you watch it on replay, uh, I think you can probably find an argument for shoulder to head and this and that. But nonetheless, it. It led to a conversation that kind of spilled over into the media room in Kitchener on the weekend, and there is a sense that the game, as we know it today, has gotten a little bit soft. And I I always shy away from these conversations because I, I feel like a bit of a Neanderthal when the conversations start, and that's the easy argument against. And I'm not sure "soft" is the the right word, but but what it means in this context, it's not that the players who play aren't doing incredible things, aren't incredibly strong and, you know, well-developed physically by the way they train for the game today. And it doesn't even mean that they're not as tough as nails. They, they are, they're blocking shots. They're, they're playing with, you know, guys trying to keep them from scoring goals. All of these things are still happening, but there's something about the game and, and I would have to agree with this specifically at the major junior level that we get to see week in and week out that, it's just, there's not as much contact in the game. Body checking isn't the art that it once was. And and we we cover a team that once boasted uh, Scott Stevens on its blue line. And we all know what Scott Stevens did in the body checking department. So as a guy that has kind of gone from, you know, the the side of let's get fighting out of the game completely and has kind of come back around on that part of it and seeing a role for it in the game call me a Neanderthal if you want to, but I'm looking at the game generally too. And we can quibble over which adjective we use, if soft is the right one or the wrong one, but this is not as physical a game as it used to be, Chris. And I'm not sure that I love its lack of physicality.
1: It certainly isn't as physical as it used to be. Um, But this year it's not as physical as it was two years ago. My main view on it is because again, there's the double cohort of rookies coming in. So twice as many rookies in the league means twice as many players playing a little shy, twice as many players, maybe not at the physical development they need to be for the Ontario hockey league. As much as these teams gave draft picks from 2020, you know, off season workout plans and, and food plans and stuff like that. Nothing can supplement for a full year in this league. And that's what I think we're noticing, whereas these rookies are still just a little nervous trying to figure out the league, trying to figure out who's who, trying to figure out where they can go and and what kind of body contact is out there, because there is there's still a lot of shy players. And that's that's how I would use it. I I've used the word soft in the past. Some people don't like the word soft, but there's there's shy players. They're stick checking versus making body contact. They're not finishing their hits because they're it's a it's a big step still from from triple a in minor midget or bantam or junior c junior b whatever you were playing to the jump to the ontario league where there's nhl prospects there's 20 year old men skating out there that have been in this league for five years there's guys like mike Petesian, who's literally built like a beer fridge running around out there at full speed and you're coming in at 5 10 a 5, buck 40 let's even say a buck 60 it's intimidating And it's still intimidating. And I think that's what we're seeing this year where there's just players shy, still trying to figure out the physical aspect of the OHL. And you can't, again, you can't supplement missing an entire year.
0: We, we watched a game this weekend and I'm going to leave all names and even teams out of it. We watched a game in the Ontario hockey league this weekend, you and me, where there was a a bit of a scrum along the boards, the puck is in player skates and they're in there kind of trying to dig it free and make a play. And there were three or four players. There might've been two from each team uh, on it along the boards, but another player came in and was kind of on the outside of that scrum and and was about to enter it. And then for whatever reason, decided, I don't want anything of it. I don't, I don't want a part of that. I'm just going to back off and wait for these guys to work the puck out. And I'm like, since when does that happen? Since when do you not want to go in there and get, that puck, that's your puck. And if you don't have that puck, you can't score a goal. And just that little aspect, that little play in a game spoke volumes to me about how it's being played today. And again, I, I just, I don't know. I hope it's the double cohort and I hope this double cohort then begins to kind of find its way in this league and throw its weight around a little bit more in the years ahead, because at at the rate we're going, we're not going to see body checks anymore.
1: Yeah, those type of plays don't bother me as much because you want someone on the outs, outside of the scrum because if you get all 10 players in there, the puck's going to squirt out, right? So eventually the puck's going to squirt out. So you want some guys on the outside of the scrum. The plays that really bother me are down the half wall, whether it's in the neutral zone, defensive zone, or offensive zone. Puck will be on the half wall, 50-50 play, and I see both players reaching out with their sticks. Stop skating and reaching out with their sticks. Get moving. And run over that player if he has the puck. Maybe just uh, You don't have to even have to run him over. Just slightly bump him and remove player from puck. Like, that's hockey 101. And it's plays that we're just not seeing as much anymore because both guys are reaching because they're scared of getting knocked out. Like, they're scared of getting popped. And, like, we've seen some massive body checks this year. Like, I just think back to just a couple games ago where Francesco Pinelli laid a massive body check. But then got absolutely obliterated in the offensive zone. A great stand up, full body check, chest to the center of the crest. It was perfectly clean. But those big hits, rookies see and think, I can't get up from that. And it it truly is. They're like, I don't want that to be me. Like that would have, that could have hurt. And Francesco popped right up, but he's been in the league. He's been to an NHL training camp, he's had the benefits of, the Kitchener Rangers, giving them workout programs for a full season and an off season. He's had the benefits of going overseas, stuff like that, where all these other kids are coming straight out of minor Bantam and not playing last year and then jumping into the OHL. So it's a huge learning curve and they're still just trying to get used to it. I hope we get back to the days where people aren't as shy, which is the new word I'm going to start using. I like Um, it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's the swinging stick plays for loose pucks. I'm like, take an extra stride and eliminate the body. Like it's not a big play, but it's, it's a very shy league this year. Yes. And and we talked about it before the season. We knew it was going to be shy. I didn't expect it to be this shy.
0: Yeah. It's real shy. It is yeah. real, real painfully shy. And yeah. I, I loved watching Pinelli pop up from that hit. I know the one you're talking about. And his helmet
1: came off his head. That's how yeah, big of a head it That's how big he got
0: popped. It was, uh, it was against Erie on the Friday night and he was right back up. And listen, Kulikov, you, I believe. Yeah. Kulikov. That's right. A nice big open ice hit right down around the hash marks in front yeah. of the Erie net. If if you finish a game of hockey and, and you're not a little bit banged up, you don't have, oh, you know, that one caught me. I, I'm not sure you played the game unless you you played it really, really shyly. So my and
1: good anyway. friend always used to say when he played, he was a forward. Uh, when I Whenever I'd ask him how the game went or whatever, if I wasn't able to watch, I always knew he had a bad game. Whenever he said, ah, I was just a skater. And I'm like, well, and I asked him the first couple of times, what, what do you mean? He goes, well, like I just didn't do anything. Like I wasn't, you know. Wasn't doing anything physical. It's just a skater out there. And there's a lot of skaters right now.
0: Yeah. The guy that we have as our guest on the podcast this week played in an era where you couldn't get away with being a skater for too long. And in fact, he turned himself into a self-described rat. Uh, I knew this guy well when he was playing junior hockey with the kitchen arranger. So I'll leave the rest of the introduction to you, but boy, oh boy. Are we, we had quite a few laughs in our conversation with this former North Bay Centennial, uh, Windsor Spitfire, and, oh yeah, had a cup of coffee with the Kitchener Rangers as well.
1: Yeah, drafted to the Rangers, traded to North Bay, went to Windsor, and then finished his career back with Kitchener. As you mentioned, self-described rat, well-connected <laughs> through the hockey circles. We get some stories about guys we've had on this podcast before and some stories about people that we hope – to have on this podcast. This is again self-described rat
0: Tyler Ertel. All right, I don't think it would be offside to start with this question, Tyler, because you and I have known each other at least a little bit since high school. And the high school we were at, my father was the principal. That brings with it a whole different set of expectations and rules and life is different. So I think it's okay to ask you as an Ertel what it was like joining the Kitchener Rangers, when Bob was such a presence there?
2: Well, first off, I want to start off with, uh, I'm still grateful to this very day. Your father let me come back uh, from North Bay to graduate at St. Jerome's. And I tell everybody who will ever listen how grateful I am to your father. So I want to start with that. Uh, I'm always grateful to your father to let me graduate. And we were the last all-boys graduating class uh, from St. Jerome's. And uh, I would have missed that if it wasn't for your dad. So um, uh, the only... thing I'm not sure I agree with with your dad was he let John Spolter come with me so uh <laughs> that's that's probably questionable but uh God loves spotty he was uh, great um you know I, I was talking to somebody about this the other day you know uh I, I literally grew up in that arena like I literally grew up uh, you know my dad would put me in the hallway with with a stick and a ball and he would say don't bug me uh don't knock don't anything um the rink is yours and you can do whatever you want Um, and I had many, many days, uh, like that. Um, so it was amazing to be, uh, drafted by the Rangers, uh, in one sense. And it was probably a curse in, in another sense. I went, uh, what they kind of called back then your underage year and you could take three 16 year olds in the top five rounds. Uh, so they took, uh, rice in the second round rival Fulham in the third and then me in the fifth and uh they were going for a kind of a rebuild which obviously turned into an amazing rebuild when they uh, you know got into the moral cup final the following year um but uh the curse part of it was um you know we were in that rebuild we we were an eighth place team um I got a lot of you know hey you're here because of your dad you're not good enough to be here that kind of part um so that part of it was was a, a difficult as 16 years old in your own hometown and um you know that that was that was a it wasn't an easy uh time in my life. And um I, I remember um going home and, and having a, a tough moment with my mom and I said, you know, I, I just I want to go somewhere and I just want to prove myself. And um, you know, I credit Joe McDonnell to this day. Um I went in and I, I basically had a, a little bit of a you know uh, an emotional breakdown with him. Um and he just said, Hey, listen, right out the year and uh I'll I'll get you to wherever you want to go next year. And he didn't um he was awesome and he he stayed true to his word he gave me uh two options uh to go to and um um you know that the rest is history after that but you know i have so much gratitude in my heart for the kitchen Rangers uh because they, they put a roof over my head uh they put you know uh food in my belly because they employed my father for over 25 years um you know i was it's funny i was, I was such a I'm such an idiot kid. I didn't even know I got Brian Bellows walking by me, Scott Stevens, and I'm hitting a ball against the wall and Hey guys, how are you? Right. And, uh, I have no idea how great these guys are. Right. i am just, I'm oblivious uh, kid and I, I don't know how, how awesome it was, but, um, there isn't a time that I don't walk into that arena, especially in the lower part of that arena. Uh, and I get that smell of the hallway and it just brings back amazing, amazing memories. And, um, yeah, there's always going to be a a bit of me that, uh, bleeds, uh, red, white, and blue for sure. And, and, uh, I, I, I love that organization for the memories it gave me. And, you know, I could be uh, eight years old, and, you know, back then and things were a little different 30, 30, 40 years ago. And, uh, there's, I just go on the rink and, you know, here I am playing by myself with pucks on the Kitchener Memorial ice. And I don't even realize how lucky I am. I just like, Oh, I think every kid does this. Right. So, um, yeah, it was amazing then to be drafted by them. And, uh, it was awesome. Uh, What a, what a great childhood uh, memory. And that obviously the, 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 uh, the, I don't want to say bad part. um, uh, It was just, it was difficult and we weren't very good. And we all know how Kitchener is when you're not very good. You know, it's a great place to win and it's a tough place to lose. Like a lot of hockey Meccas, you know, like Toronto and Montreal. And um, I don't hold anything against people in that and uh, whatever. And I'm sure, um, you know, I only have four goals that year. So, Uh, Everybody had a lot of right to probably think I was just a, you know, hey, here's daddy's boy playing. Right. So um, I believed in myself, uh, but I needed to go somewhere else and do that. And, and uh, always so grateful to Joe and the organization for, for, for letting me do that. So, so that was pretty cool. I feel like we could maybe do a whole podcast just
1: on your childhood of playing ball hockey next to Brian Bellows and Scott Stevens, but and and to do it in that rink, like, holy lucky.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, And yeah,
1: could you remember your first game as a Ranger being that young kid playing ball hockey next to Brian Bellows and Scott Stevens, and then to be in that dressing room, putting on the shirt, walking down what they call high five Valley. Now, what was that feeling like? It was amazing
2: it was amazing. We had a great crowd. Uh, we played Niagara Falls. Um, I believe I, I and I scored in my first game. I scored on uh, Bernanke, I believe it was. Um, and yeah, I remember I was uh, on the bench and looking up at my mom and uh, you know, I can almost feel like I'm going to get emotional right now uh, talking about it. And, uh, I was just so, you know, I saw my mom and my sister jumping up and down and, uh, yeah, it was it was absolutely amazing, and we had a really good young core group of guys, Corey Keenan and uh, Fulham, Randy Pierce, like just great guys. And some of them went on to have great NHL careers, obviously. And um, yeah, it was uh, it was nerve wracking the first part, and then just sitting there and looking up. And I had always just kind of been there. It was it was kind of funny because the year before, I they called them the Ranger Bees. The year before, I played for the Ranger Bees for Jimmy Jenks. The year before, as a fifteen year old. And, you know, we'd get like 400 people, right? So it wasn't a, a very big crowd. So then looking up and, and seeing like uh, six, seven, eight thousand 7 8,000 people there, because, uh, you know, the home opener in Kitchener is awesome. Um, and then to score in it, was uh, that was amazing, right? So, um, yeah, it was great. It was a, it was a great experience and, um, you know, just another awesome memory that that uh, incredible rink gave me.
0: You mentioned that Joe McDonnell said right out the season, I'll get you where you want to go. There were options. And the option you chose was Burt Templeton in the North Bay Centennials. <laughs> and... uh and ironically, I was
2: one month academic player of the year, which I, I you know, I, I, or the month. Uh, so I, you know, I'm sure you can question that. Uh, no, <laughs> hey, listen, um, Bert Templeton, uh, he, he had his, his downsides, uh, for sure. Uh, but it was a big man's league. And I'm, he taught me how to play as a little guy. Um, he taught me how to be a rat. Um, he taught me how to get power plays for our team. He taught me, how to hit a six foot four guy through his hands and, and, and get the puck. And um, he was, he was, he was tough. he was mean, he was mean. Uh, he was tough. Um, but when you were on his good side, you, you know, things were really good. Uh, and when you were on his bad side, things were really bad. Uh, but um, you know what? He, he, he gave me so many lessons to play in, in a big man's game with a lot of clutch and grab back then. Um, but yeah, I, you know what? And the ironic part was like, my dad and him almost fought one year at center ice. Uh, they both had their, their jackets off and they almost fought like they hated each other. And then now yeah, the conversation happened and uh, I'm not going to say the other team that I could have gone to, but um, uh, yeah, it was just, it was surprising. My dad was like, go to Bert. And I was like, Oh, okay. Um, I really didn't know a lot back then. And, you know, we didn't really have as much say back then as players do now. And, and uh, he said, You're, you'll learn the most from him. And uh You know, Bert was, uh, he was great and, um, taught me, taught me the cerebral part of it, taught me how to get under guy's skin, um, and, and how to put pucks in the net and and angles and a, a lot of great things. But, um when he was, uh, man, when he was angry, oh, man, it wasn't fun at all. It sucked. So, but you know what, it, it made you better. And, and, and now, you know, uh, as, as an elderly person, uh, I use those, uh, lessons I learned from him from both good and bad to, you know, get me through my own life and, and, and as well help my own boys. So, uh, it, it's good. You mentioned when he's angry, what was the angriest you ever saw him? Uh, we came back from, we got, We got dummied in Cornwall. Uh, Darcy Cahill put one between his legs back. You remember how it was when you scored back then between your legs. It was like, like, I remember him saying, if he finishes the game, you guys, you have no idea what's going to happen to you. And he did finish the game and he was right. We got back at three in the morning and we started unpacking. And he he came in and he said, what are you doing? It's three in the morning, right? We're kids. And uh, he goes, put it on. And we put our gear on and we skated for 45 minutes straight half speed all the way around the ice and we alternated pushing the net. So one guy would push a net and you'd push it all the way around the net or around the ice. And then when you got to the red line, another guy would pick it up. We just kept going around and around for 45 minutes at three in the morning. And uh, yeah, it was, and he, I mean, he just, you slowed down a bit. He barked at you and uh, yeah, he was, when it went, it went, but um, <laughs> you know what? He had, he had that in him. Uh, but he also had like, he protected you, um, as well. So, um, it was kind of like, uh, I'm the one that can do this to you, but nobody else can do this to you. Um, so he had that in him. Um, so that part of it was, um, you always knew he had your back. Uh, but when you screwed up, uh, he wasn't letting you get off the hook and he was going to make a point. Um, I remember even one game, I'm not going to say the player's name, but one of my teammates came up to me, I'd scored a hat trick the game before And he came up to me and he said, uh, hey, I got to fight you. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I got to fight you. I'm like, what? We just started practice. We were like 10 minutes into practice. And he's like, yeah, Bert thinks you're cocky after the hat trick. So I'm going to hit you a few times and you fall down, okay? And this was a big, big guy who hit me. And, uh, I was like, okay, all right, well, and that was it. And that's how things happened back then. And, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was some, some funny stuff, but that, you know, obviously you know, those days are are dead and good that they are, but I don't know, some way, somehow back then you, you just kind of knew what was trying to be uh, made there. You probably didn't agree with how it was being made, uh, but you still knew what the message was. And, um, I most likely deserved it. So whatever it was, what it was. So, uh, it, it was, uh, it was good. I, I still, I love those two years up in North Bay. You know, it, uh, you're the only show in town. Um, and what they got up there now with Adam Dennis, I, you know, I don't think Adam Dennis is going to be there very long. I think he's going to be in the NHL um, soon, sooner than later. He's amazing. Uh, they've made some really, really good uh, changes up there. And, and uh, I think there's some good times. And when you win up there, oh my God, it is, uh, it's amazing. When we walked, knocked the Rangers out that one year, Uh, We didn't pay for a, I don't remember paying for a breakfast, lunch or dinner. It was, it was incredible. So it it is a great town again, you know, another typical uh, high-end OHL town. And if you win, it's amazing. And uh, there, if you lose, you're you're playing in front of crickets. It's nothing. So uh, yeah, it it was, I know a lot of people are like, what, you chose to go play for Bert. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, for my hockey development, it was, it was the right call. Uh, I, I did enjoy
0: it. I can't let us just gloss over the the year we knocked out the Rangers because for you especially Arts, that had to be that had to be pretty special. But what, what kinds of emotions were you going through coming back into that barn against the team that drafted you with the North Bay Centennials in the playoffs?
2: Well, that was a the year they were number one uh that year. Uh they were amazing. Oh my God, they were so good. Um, and I had just probably slowly perfected uh being a rat. And um I think I had 11 points in that series. Um, And that was obviously the year that I just got traded. Um, And it was just one of those years where everything, or one of those playoff series where everything went for right for myself and for the team. Um, You know, I think we play them in 10 series. uh, You know, we probably lose eight of them. Uh, We had John Purvis as well. John Purvis is by far the best junior player I ever played with that never made the NHL. Um, He was unbelievable, like unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. Um, so he was a big factor. And then I don't know what happened to me. I just reveled in it. Um, I got one police escort, out <laughs> of uh, but I, I, reveled in the, the, the rat factor. I, I, reveled in the, in, in the points. And there was a bit of me that from that year before where hey, you're here, your daddy's boy, whatever, that, that was the driving force behind me every game. And, um, I got beat up pretty good and, and rightfully so I, I deserved everything I got. Um, but I didn't feel it. I was just uh, so into it uh, at that point. I just wanted to uh, obviously show my parents uh, and my brother and sister the most and and friends and and then everybody else that, Hey, you know, I I, I'm okay. Like I'm not, I'm not a daddy's boy. I I can play. I'm all right. Um, And that was, it was pretty special to beat them out. And then the next year we played them and they thumped us. So uh, yeah, it was, it was one for one and um, you know, uh, it was good. They, but they were, a phenomenal team. And uh, we, we just had everything go right for us. Every bounce went right for us. Uh, you know, uh, every call, we, we sucked them into a lot of penalties and our power play was amazing because of Purvis. Um, and we just had a lot of, a lot of good, good puck luck. And, and that, that worked out right. And then, and then the next year, they they won and, and deserved to win. They were they were good for a while. So yeah, it, it was fun, though. It was really fun to do that. And, you know, the number one team in the country, um, you know, was beat out by an eight seed. I think we were 34 points below them in the stands and standing. So um, it was it was a big deficit. And uh, yeah, it was it was really good. It was a good feeling for sure.
1: I believe it was the global game of the week with Jack Miller when you got that police escort. And I won't repeat
2: what he had to say, but maybe you could tell us the story, Ertz. Oh, man, that was awful. You know, I, <laughs> I still love Torch to this day for this. So, yeah, it's 7-2. Uh, and Bert calls a timeout with like seven minutes left in the third. And we're all like, oh, okay, all right, we know what's happening. So, And I heard Torch on here before, and he, he pretty well nailed the story. But he doesn't <laughs> know what happens in our scrum. So we get there. And it's me, the two Toski brothers, six four, six five, Darian Hatcher, who, you know, not a bad NHL career, and a guy by the name of John Van Kessel, tough guy from the East Coast. So he looks at us and he points right at me and he goes, I'm not going to say what he said about Torch. It wasn't very nice. You can probably figure it out. Uh, <laughs> but he, he said at the end of it, if he isn't on the ground by the end of this shift, you find yourself way, your, your own way home. You can ask mommy and daddy for a ride home. If you want, I don't give up leap. You find your own way home and I guarantee you, you will never get drafted to the NHL. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> so then, and then he looks at the other four and he goes, if anybody lays a finger on Erdl, all four of you are walking home. Walks away and he goes, you guys figure out what you're going to do. So the four guys look at me and I'm like, Okay. Well, I'm the rat. So, okay. All right. Well, I said, okay, boys, we'll dump it in the left corner. I'll go at Torch. I'm going to the right corner. You guys get in front of me. We'll have at her. All right. And we break Kitchener breaks, Torch is still in the net. And I looked down at Torch and I shrugged like, and Torch oh, I, I, to this day, Torch did the most manly thing I've ever seen that I played. And Torch just went like this and he knew what was coming. He didn't do anything. He could have chopped me. He could have, he could have blockered me. He couldn't, whatever. He, he knew it was coming. He took it. Um, he was amazing. Like, I, you know, I, and we were, we were out East the, like the year before or whatever, um, working at a hockey school together. Like you know, I, who doesn't love, how do you not love torch, right? Like you don't hear anybody that doesn't love torch. And here I got to go, you know, a buddy of mine, I got to go stick them. And then, so I stick him. and then there's a wall in front of me. And I, the classic i remember i'm a i'm a you know i'm a garden gnome and then mark montaneri is he's about the same size as me montaneri's trying to jump over and hit me right and i'm jumping over the guy's going sorry monty i didn't want to do it i didn't want to do it right and uh so then i you know i go to the box everybody there's no glass behind you everybody i'm getting stuff thrown at me you suck we know where you live urdle you're dead blah, blah blah i get tossed uh you know i get the you know the the, the jeers leaving everybody's waiting. I look up, my mom's, you know, she's in tears. My sister's in tears. It's a debacle. Like it is the debacle. And then, uh, so yeah, get the police escort out. I got one on either side of me, fans, you're dead. We're going to get you blah, blah, blah. Get on the bus. Terrible four hour and a half ride home. Um, So Bert used to, he would take all five seats at the back of the bus, right? The traditional way is the coach sits at the front of the bus and all the vets sit at the back and the rookies sit at the front. Bert did the opposite. He took all five seats right beside the, 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 um, uh, the washroom. So if you had to go to the washroom and you had a bad game, you were getting verbally pounded verbally the whole walk up and the whole walk back. Right. So I got a couple verbal beatings on my thing, whatever. Then I get home and my billets were amazing people. They always, uh, tape the games, And um, so then I get home and I I obviously go to the part, it's 7-2. So there's not really much to watch. I go to the part and um, I'll try to do my best Jack Miller impression here. And uh, I I get to the part and obviously the the skirmish happens. I'm getting escorted off and it's, it's, he goes, uh, Jack, Jack, (laughs) Jack goes, Ertl's making a travesty of this game, man. He's got no respect for the game. And I'm like, Oh my God, Jack, I didn't even want to do this. Right. I'm just, I, I was told if I didn't do it, I had to find my own way home. So uh, uh, yeah, you know what it was uh, it wasn't it definitely wasn't a good one and then and then I had three more years to go back into that rink after that, right? So it was every time I when they had big they would paint banners you know before they you could do that there was the old wall there beside the queen and they would hang banners um, of like stuff that they wanted to happen to me. Like, it was awful, right? <laughs> big X's through my name and the Antoski brothers names and it was, it was unbelievable, but the biggest thing out of that was the respect I had for Torch, just with that head nod, knowing what was going to come, and and that was just kind of the code back then, and, and uh, you know, when you're calling that with Burt Templeton at 7-2 in the third period, uh, you know, you know what's coming, and, and Torch knew what was coming, and I mean, he took it like a man way better than I ever could have, and, 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 From that moment on, you know, I've loved that man. I loved him a lot before then, but my love for him grew way, way more. And Torch was, he was, he was the uh, impressive
0: man through that. The game sure has changed. eh? could you imagine walking into a rink with banners like that? I don't think you'd get to put it up or not for long anyway. No, no,
2: no. uh, You know, and, and I was fortunate. I played one year in Windsor as a, as a, as a Spitfire, but I went in there a lot of times as a, it was the same thing. You know, you guys have heard all the stories and, uh, it's all true. Like it's true, you know, catching, catching, uh, eggs and, uh, you know, uh, screws off the back of the head, nuts and bolts and, uh, you know, that stuff, you can't do that today for and for good reason. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was unbelievable. And, you know, there was times I would go into that rink and there was six to 7,000 people just screaming, "Erdal." turtle and it was constant constant like and and now i'm not going to lie i i loved it i loved it i absolutely loved it um and my boys just make fun of me they're like that that's not you know that's not normal right and I'm like yeah I know it's not normal it's not normal but I did I loved it but it was they man oh man when you are a visitor in there and they don't like you they uh they let you know and the love they have for their rangers and it's still there obviously you guys know it uh, as well it's still there today um but yeah it was a it was tough place to play when they didn't like you it was very very tough
1: you mentioned the Antoski brothers, but I, you also mentioned Darian Hatcher. And I got to ask you about Hatch because in our p- dealings with him as a coach in Sarnia, he kind of comes walking into the rink and he looks like almost like he just woke up from a nap. He might have just kind of, you know, do do and you look at him, he look just looks like he doesn't have a care in the world. But then you watch any highlight of him and
2: he looks like the meanest man that's ever graced earth. What was yeah. he like back then? And he the exact same way back then. <laughs> exact same way. It's like, Hey, Hatch, your your house is on fire. Oh, oh, what are we going to do about that then? That's it? Nothing, nothing. Hey, Hatch, you won a million dollars.
0: Oh,
2: oh, that's pretty cool. All right. Right? And then all of a sudden, you know, you'd be on the ice and, hey, Hatch, that guy just cross-checked that guy. Boom, boom, boom. Like, you know, he was a, he was a wicked teammate. He was a really, really good, um, he, he his It actually translated, a lot of people don't give him enough credit. It translated into his game on how he handled the puck. He wasn't credited enough with how patient he was with the puck. He made a lot of plays where he just held on to it, held on to it, and guys would kind of just skate by him, like they just go by him. And um, he made a lot of great first passes because of it, but Hatch totally laid back you know, big American brother. He had two older brothers that I think had kind of carved a really good path for him, uh, where he had already had a, a name established for him where, you know, he was like, Hey, I'm a hatcher. And you know what? My two brothers have, have really laid a, a good groundwork for me here. And, uh, he was a great, like an amazing rookie up in North Bay. Uh, he was awesome. And then, you know, obviously his, uh, his career speaks for itself, but yeah, he had like a, like an Eagle talent up in North Bay, you know, so here's a six, six guy squeezing into this little Eagle talent and the big bushy hair was just flowing out the, the window. And, uh, I don't think school was his favorite thing back then either. So, uh, but, uh, he was always, he was always with the guys. He was a great teammate. Um, was never a cocky rookie could have been very easy, but, uh, did all the right things, uh, back then that rookies had to do. And, um, he was a really good teammate, uh, stuck up for me, a lot of times, um, you know, made me uh, play uh, like a six foot two player when I'm, you know, five nine. So, yeah, he was great. I loved Hatch. Uh, we had a great, great guys up 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 there in North Bay. Uh, a lot of great guys everywhere I played. Really, I would love to know who who the vet
1: was that said, uh, "Sorry, uh, Hatch, we need to initiate you now." He, <laughs> he just says, "No, you don't." It was John Spalter. It was John. Yeah. That's of it one. was.
2: Yeah, Spotty. Uh, Spotty was the one that. Uh, that that uh, took to care of Hatch and, and um, yeah, so, but everybody loves Spotty, right? Spotty could, uh, he, he could, he could make you do some things without even knowing you were doing it. So uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was great. Spotty was, Spotty is great, but Hatch loved everybody loves Spotty, right? So uh, Hatch loves Spotty. So, and we weren't, uh, we weren't like jerks either. So like uh, you had to do your, you know, you had to, I think we had, every Tuesday you had to buy a vet, a Vetta pop. It was like a quarter back then, right? Which that ages me for sure um and then uh you had to carry the bags and uh whatever it wasn't uh we didn't do anything crazy like nothing you know that was you know like you're here and here these lawsuits and stuff that was never there we didn't have any of that stuff i just don't think we, any of us we just knew that was stupid right so um yeah it was just fun we just wanted to have fun so and spotty could scott spotty made
0: a lot of things fun so it was good I wanted to ask specifically about another teammate too, but from Kitchener, because his name has come up on several occasions on this podcast. And we really got to go get him on the podcast because I'm pretty sure he's still hanging out in Guelph, but Rick Alain.
2: Oh my God. Yeah. So Ricky, I mean, I was a 16 year old. Uh, He was, Oh my God, was he tough. Um, But just a great, great vet. Like he was so good to us we had about four guys on that team that were just amazing vets. And, and, uh, Rick was one of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then that next year when they, they went to the cup, Rick was a big, big part of that on the back end and didn't get enough credit, to be honest. Um, he was one of the most, uh, unsung heroes, I think of OHL history. Um, cause you know what, he, he had some skill. He could make a good first pass, tough as nails, uh, stay at home. Defenseman made the odd offensive play, uh, but enjoyed taking care of uh, his teammates and, um, yeah, Rick was, uh, he was awesome. He was the consummate, uh, teammate and, and a really good guy. And then, uh, the next year he, he, when I told you, I got the beat, the the crap beat out of me uh, in that series, he was one of the main guys that beat the crap out of me. And he let me know every game I'm going to, I'm going to hurt you hurdle every, and that was just how it was back then. I just played with him the year before, uh, but he was a competitive guy and, um, I had nothing but respect and, and love for him and, uh, um, that was just who he was. And and I, I think I would have thought something different if he didn't do that. So, um, yeah, he, 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 he beat me. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't just kind of like, he beat me like it was, I got a chop and a cross check and a slash and a punch and every shift. Like, it wasn't like, ah, I let him go this shift. It was like, Nope, you're going to get it again. Um, so, and, and it wasn't a guy that, uh, I was going to do farewell with if I decided to drop the mitzvah. So, um, yeah, it was. Uh, it, it, it was. Uh, he, he was. A, he was a great guy. Yeah, he, he'd have some great stories too. He'd be. He'd be awesome on this. Nice to get some positive
1: words about Rick Elaine, eh, Farzi? <laughs> well, Instead usually the it's the Carson
2: brothers. Yeah, exactly. Kicking the crap
1: out of people. <laughs> yeah, oh, he he's tough, man. Oh, He's tough. Urzi, you mentioned another name, and we haven't gotten a story about Randy Pierce on this podcast. But I got to ask you about Randy because local guy. Uh, former ranger obviously but a local guy and him and my uncle ended up marrying uh two of the burnham sisters so i've known randy since i've known randy since i was like five years old i think yeah Uh, what was he like as a teammate
2: he was great randy was good i think he went 20th round i think he was a 20th rounder to our to our team um and he just came on and he like fought scrapped scored his way onto the team um just uh i think he played for the sugar kings the year before and um uh kind of like you know junior b wasn't really kind of looked at very high on the back then and uh you know we were kind of like going 20th rounder. who is this guy whatever and he worked his tail off and then uh throughout the season in, in the rookie year he just kept moving up the lineup and uh deservedly so and um he was tough he was like he didn't get enough credit for his toughness too um you know he had he had big he had the big farmer hands uh, had the the big, the big neck and the big head and, uh, he was, he, he wouldn't back down from anybody, but he'd go to the net hard, go to the greasy areas and put pucks in and, uh, his work ethic was unbelievable. Um, so yeah, and I'll, I'll say this, um, he got us out of the hot box in, uh, for the ride home from the suit. So I still credit Randy Pierce to this day for that. We had eight of us in that hot box. It was awful and it was a lot Peer. of bodies it was a lot of bodies and randy pierce came up with the idea he said i'm gonna to pretend to faint you guys yell that i fainted and we fainted he didn't faint but he pretended and they opened the door and we all got out joe got a little bit mad and that was it it was done we didn't have to hotbox anymore so that's probably a story you know that uh, a lot of people don't know and, and doesn't share but uh that is my true credit to Randy Pierce. I'm So it was, that was disgusting. That was gross. So um, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was my love for Randy Pearson grew immensely after that one. So, yeah, but no, getting back to the player, he was, uh, he was amazing. Um, he, he, and you know, obviously went on with Washington and, and deserved everything he got. He got zero accolades, uh, zero press uh, um, clippings um, and just worked. And, and he didn't listen to any outside noise and, just knew what he wanted and um had a good little chuckle to him every once in a while. He had a funny little uh, Elmira laugh, that little Mennonite to him. So it was uh he was a good guy.
0: Yeah. Good, good guy. You talked Tyler about those four goals in your first year, then going to play for Burt where he taught you how to be a rat and look, rats get points too, but come on that, that year in Windsor, you're almost a hundred point guy in the Ontario hockey league. I don't care what era you're playing in that's that's a whole lot of points when did you kind of figure it out so to speak as a player I would say my
2: second year in uh in North Bay uh, you know Bird had just taught me you know how to come off the half wall where to swing how to find seams um he worked with me a lot you know I'll give him credit uh he did give me a, a, a lot of help um and then you know you got your opportunities too right I like I said i I was obsessed with the power play. I loved being on the power play. And, um, uh, I, I started to develop a, a fairly decent slap shot, uh, around 18, 19, which, uh, a lot of people, uh, let me, you know, let, let go. And then, so, and then that year that I got, I got suspended that year and I, I probably would have got a hundred if I didn't get suspended. I did a bonehead move, but anyways, um, and I played for motor city Smitty that year. Yep. And, uh, motor motor was amazing. He just, he gave me the green light and, uh, we had an unbelievable team, you know, with Jason Cerrone, Corey Stillman, Todd Warner, uh, Kevin McKay, Jason York. Uh, we were fairly loaded. Um, so, you know, I played with obviously really good players. Uh, we got a lot of those guys at the trade deadline. So I'd had a good first half up there and then those guys coming in, uh, was made it amazing. And, uh, so yeah, you know things kind of I, I kind of clicked. I would say my second year in North Bay, Burt trusted me. Uh, I think I got seventy four that year in my second year in North Bay, and then ninety six or ninety four that year in uh, in, uh, in Windsor. And if I wouldn't have got, I think I got a five game suspension. I chopped somebody in the throat. It was stupid, but anyways, uh, only five. Do you lucky you, you were
0: playing then? I know, right? Like <laughs> today, today it would
2: have been. No, oh, yeah, I'd be, it would have been a year for sure today. Right. So, um, but that was, that was, I mean, I, I didn't fight I just used my stick. So, uh, um, Do you remember who you chopped in the throat? No, somebody from Peterborough. can't remember who it was. I don't remember who, who it was. I, I used to, get, yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. So I don't remember, I don't remember who it was, but, uh, I remember Domi was chasing me around trying to get me. So that wasn't good. Um, but yeah, it was, um, that was a great year in Windsor. I, I loved uh, with Jeff Wilson, and net tiny little guy. He was like five nine, but unbelievable goalie. He was lights out. I think he got, went on to University of Guelph and won a national championship there with Chris Clancy and those guys. Um, Willie was a great. He was awesome. He was a character too. Uh, we had a lot of characters on that team. So and I will say, playing in Windsor, having Detroit on the other side, oh boy, it was that fun. Um, that was a lot of fun, a lot of visits to Greek town and, um, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was good times there for sure. Um, but yeah, you know what they, um, that year was, it was, and I was kind of in the talking for the world juniors, uh, that year as well. And, um, I lost out to Dale Craigwell, which was a great guy to lose out to, but I know motor had I tried hard to get me there um I don't think I was good enough to be there Craigwell was better than me so uh but it was nice to you know at least be in the conversation and um go from there so um now again I don't I don't know how true that is that was what I heard so um but you know to to have that was good and um yeah it was a great year I I loved that year and um you know Windsor was another when you're a home when you're a Spitfire oh my god that place is that is rock in that place. When it uh, in the old the old Windsor Barn, that was amazing. Like you could literally, you'd be sitting on the bench and you'd be dy- like this when things were going. You could feel the whole building shake, and uh, it was uh, it was pretty amazing.
1: Love the Windsor Barn stories. Well, um, <clears throat> it was that same year that a young five year old Chris Pope was crying in his bedroom at home because the old Sound Platers traded Mike Spear. Yes, Mike Spear <laughs> was my favorite player growing up. And Uh I cried for hours because I didn't think trades happened. What was Mike Spear like to his childhood number one fan?
2: He was awesome. Yeah, he was great. I think he was a Chicago Blackhawk pick uh, back then. Uh, He came, I think he was wearing the C in Owen Sound and uh, came in. So, I mean, we had Spear and York. We had Jason Stoss. Like, we were pretty stacked. Like, we should have probably went a lot further than we did. We uh, ran into a... A uh, hot team from Niagara Falls. Uh, I would honestly say Brad May. Brad May probably beat us out on his own. He was he was unbelievable back then. Um, but yeah, you know what? Uh, Spearsy was a great guy. He came in and fit in right away. Wasn't you know for those kind of guys, it's not hard to fit in the dressing room because you have so much respect already. Uh, big big guy. You know, hard shot. Played the right way. Uh, tough. You know, could throw when he needed to. Threw big checks. Um, had an offensive side to his game we all knew who he was. So, you know, we all were like, wow, we got Spearsy! like this is, you know, we're making a run for it here. Right. So um, yeah, it was uh, he was a great guy. Another awesome, awesome teammate and uh, fun guy too. He was, he was fun too.
0: We started this conversation, Tyler, by talking about family for obvious reasons, but one of my favorite stories to ever come up on this podcast came to us from Billy McGuigan. So Billy told us that he got a solid from your dad, Bob, to help him out in junior with the Kitchener Rangers. Fast forward 20 plus years or so, and Billy is able to sort of return that favor to your dad's grandson, which would be your boy, Justin, with the Summerside caps down in PEI. Tell us about your relationship with Billy and how that all came to be.
2: Well, he just abused me like 30 minutes ago on text. So I don't know how good I feel <laughs> towards him right now, but, uh, oh, he's ruthless to me on text. He's, uh, those PEI, we have a UPI group chat. It's uh, Oh my God. It's, uh, you, if you ever get just a little bit feeling good about yourself, you get knocked down extremely quick in that group chat. Uh, but no, you tell uh, us what he said. He seemed like a nice guy. You got a oh, oh, no, nice no, little right? Oh my God. No, I, he'll lose his job as a Somerset capital coach. So I can't do that. For him. So no, it's, uh, uh, no, you know what? Um, Billy, uh, Billy, Tammy, and the, his three kids opened their house to my to my son. Uh, Billy fought hard to get my son. We were in the pandemic. It was Justin's uh, draft year. Um, he was at Saint Andrew's College. Uh, David Manning was amazing to him, and and David was and I get it. He was like, if you can just hold on as long as we can, and if we see there's no light at the end of the tunnel, we'll let him go play junior somewhere. Um, and then you could kind of see where the pandemic was going. And I'd been in contact with Billy. I had a cottage out in PEI. Um, so cause Justin wouldn't have been able to go play unless I would have actually had to move somewhere. So whether it was go to BC or PEI, but because I had a residence in uh, PEI, we used that residence, um, to get Justin there and then moved in with the, uh, with Billy. Um, and I was out there obviously at my residence. So he was back and forth with me and stuff. So, um, so, but yeah, um, like Billy, I can't tell you the heart that that guy has. He has the biggest heart. Um, I will gladly say this on this podcast. Um, I would, I am amazed that some OHL team has not hired him as a head coach. Um, he is a mini Gerard Gallant. Um, his systems are uh, above average to very good um, to excellent, but his attention to detail and his love for his players. I've never seen anything like it. I never seen anything like it. That guy I'm telling you right now, he was on the phone. He was texting. He was emailing seven out of seven days for Justin Erdl. Like he was, he went above and beyond what I did as his father. Um, to help Justin get drafted. He had a very good contact out there uh, from the Dallas star, Shane Turner, who was an unbelievable human being. And, uh, you know, I don't, I've never met a bad Islander. They're unbelievable people. Um, and he had a connection with Shane and they started talking and, and Billy, but he, you know, there's people out in PEI with, uh, I know, Billy was tight with a guy from out that way from Detroit, another guy from Buffalo. Um, Billy was nonstop on the phone promoting Justin um, and I will be forever indebted to that McGuigan family. Uh, I have to actually get Clark, his younger boy in Oshawa generals shirt and hat and send it out to him. So Billy's like, Oh, I'll pay for it. I'm like, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. You just had my kid in your house for, and my kid is, he's gross. Like his, his feet are disgusting. Like he eats like a pig, you know? So, and I don't care if he sees this cause he knows I'm right. So, um, and Billy put up with that you know, Pilly and Billy put up with those disgusting feet, uh, that, you know, that's why I have no hair. I've had no hair ever since he was born. Um, cause those feet are, they're rancid. Um, and he eats like just eats. He never stops. He just doesn't stop. And the Wiggins, they were just, uh, they were awesome people to him. They opened up their house. Uh, Clark wears number 23 now because of Justin. Um, he's got Justin's Jersey hanging up in, uh, in his, in his room. Um, and, I, you know, uh, I will, like I'm, I mean it from to the, to my last breath in this body, uh, I will be forever, ever indebted to the entire McGuigan family uh, and to Summerside. Uh, that organization is A1. They actually just had uh, a former Summerside cop signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning today and Bennett MacArthur. Uh, so and they had the year before uh, Billy had Jordan Spence, uh, who Billy coached as well. Um, so, I mean, this guy, I'm telling you, man, he teaches these kids to play the right way. He teaches them how to be right off the ice. Um, he's demanding, um, good systems. And I, I'm really, I, I'm telling you, if some team from the Q and the O doesn't hire him, they're, they're missing out. But on top of all that, it's, it's, and that's why the guys, you know, you look at what the New York Rangers are doing this year. Every, you look where, everywhere Gerard Grant goes, the guys love him. And Billy, I'm telling you. He is this. He's a carbon copy of Gerard Gallant. Um, unbelievable, and uh, I, I just think, I think he's a big hidden gem that somebody's missing out on, and and I hope somebody hears this and 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 at least interviews him and just hears him because the guy is he's amazing. And I, I tell you, there would be any sixteen to twenty year old in the OHL that would go through a wall for him. it. It would be I, I it, it would be very very impressive uh, for him to get in the OHL. There's worse guys to be carbon copies of than Gerard Gallant. Right. You see what he's doing. And I mean, he should hopefully be coach of the year this year again. And what what he did with Vegas the first year there. And uh, he's loved in PEI. And he still keeps in touch with all those guys. And uh, he's just a phenomenal human being. I've never met the man, but the stories I hear about him, like he's just beloved. Um, And I'm, I'm not joking. Billy is cut from that exact same cloth. Like, identical um you just you love being a, around Billy McGuigan you got to have thick skin to be around Billy McGuigan because he's gonna abuse you and uh he's a funny bugger he is funny um uh, but uh and he was tough in his day too so yeah Billy uh, I love him I love him but yeah you know what a story what a full circle story right so my dad brings him in to Kitchener and leads to Billy playing some semi-pro and pro and now using that experience to be a head coach at the Summerside Capitals and then Billy bringing my boy in and, and basically, you know, between him and David Manning, getting my boy drafted into the third round of the NHL. Um, so, you know, how can't you have gratitude towards that? Right. So it's pretty amazing. Um, I just want to bring it back to the OHL because you,
1: your year ended in Windsor and then you ended up at university of Waterloo, but then made the decision, even after all the struggles that you went through in your rookie season in Kitchener to go back to the Rangers as an overager. How did that decision and being at UNW or UW, how did that all come about?
2: Yeah, you know what? I uh, we went there. We had a great team at UAW. We were like ranked number one or two in the country. Um, but it just, I, I just wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. I kind of felt like there was something still there. And uh, so Christmas came, and uh, um, things weren't going really, I think, all that good with uh, uh, another overager. And and I think things were kind of, and there was, uh, I had a, another OHL team reach out to me, they, and they offered me forty five hundred dollars to come back for half a year. So that's a lot of money back then. That's, you know, over, that's 30 years ago, 32 years ago, uh, that they offered me $4,500 to come back for half a year. And then, uh, Joe McDonnell called me, uh, the same day. And I said, Hey, Joe, like, listen, I got, uh, I got offered 4,500 from this other team. And uh, classic Joe, I don't give a shit. I don't care what they offered you. I'm not giving you a penny. You're not getting anything from me. And uh, I was like, Oh, okay. All right. That was uh, and you, Joe, just straight shooter. Right. Uh, but Joe was like, Hey, listen, you know what? Come back here. Uh, you're going to get a ton of ice time. You got uh, no curfew. You can do whatever you want. You got to show up. You got to play. You can't take any of the young kids out with you. That was, that was it. That was the conversation. And, um, I kind of sat back and I was like, you know what? Uh, I, I I realized in my 16 year old year, Joe could have held on to me. He could have said, I'm not trading you. Right. He could have said, you know, whatever, tough it out, suck it up. And who knows? Maybe I would have quit hockey. I don't know. Uh, so there was something in me that was like, you know what? Yeah, I could have that money. And I, I wouldn't have handled the money properly anyway. So I would have just squandered it all away, um, with bad choices. And, um, I knew Joe was going to take care of me and uh, I knew Joe was true to his word. Um, and I, I felt, uh, obligation to do the right thing. And, uh, Joe was really good to me basically four and a half years before that. And obviously too, to come back, to my hometown and I had kind of established myself as you know a decent player then uh, and to come back and and uh, kind of prove myself and go hey you know remember what you thought I was five years ago I'm not and to have that opportunity that played in it too uh, but it was mainly just kind of a uh, i I want to do this because Joe deserves that and and I should be doing this this is my thank you back to Joe and oh my god what a great decision that was it was amazing like the year we had. Um, you know, that year, uh, we went down to 13 skaters against the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds who that was their, their dynasty run. And we took them to seven games. We took and that, and I remember Joe crying at the, uh, at the banquet, he got emotional talking about the heart that was in that room. Uh, Torch was absolutely amazing in that series. Chris LaPuma was, he, he both of him and I went to Tampa Bay after that series uh, La Puma stayed and played there for a bit um yeah it was it was absolutely incredible like it was an amazing uh experience and uh I had I had a good good year stat wise and uh obviously the playoff run was was incredible so uh I loved it uh, it was the best decision I could have made
0: you kind of hinted earlier that when you were telling the story about taking the suspension while in Windsor, slashing a ple- uh, Peterborough player in the throat, that it, it seemed like you were indicating that maybe the Tyler Erdl on the ice was a little bit different than the Tyler Erdl off the ice, just to, you know, kind of went into this different mindset. How about the Tyler Erdl, the player versus Tyler Erdl. Now the hockey dad, how do those two compare? I suck.
2: <laughs> I suck. I'm the worst hockey dad ever. I'm terrible. So, uh, Mr. Farwell, remember this guy, uh, Cam Stewart, uh, is my, my two younger boys advisors. So he's their advisors and Cam Stewart is my therapist. Um, so yeah, he, uh, you know, I, um, it's way harder being a hockey dad and, um, you know, I, I have to really learn to shut my mouth and I have to learn to let my boys make their own decisions and, um, you know, I just have to deal with, you know, both my boys had injuries and I don't handle that well. And so, yeah, I, I basically suck. I I'm, I'm terrible at it. And, uh, but Stewie's great. My, my, I like my boys basically coach me. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I'm not good. I'm not good. I I want to tell you great stories, but I suck. I'm terrible. Uh, So now I I put my, my, my boy's getting ready to play tonight. I got my, I put my hoodie on. I be quiet. And then anytime I want to say something, I call my therapist, Cam Stewart. And uh, he better therapist. What are you kidding me? (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) He's not bad. He's not bad. He does. uh, I'm sure I like, I, there's times I'm sure when he sees my name come up, he's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? So, uh, yeah, no, Stewie's awesome. Like he's so good. So, uh, but no, you know what? I I love it. Um, you know, my, uh, my boys are my best friends. Uh, I, I, I love being their number one fan. Um, I do my best to stay out of the way, um, as best I can now. Um, you know, when, when Justin made the decision to go NCAA versus OHL, uh, obviously as an OHL guy, um, you know, that's, you know, you kind of like, Oh boy. Okay. Um, but that's not, you know, at the end of the day, it's not my decision and, and he had to make it. Um, and then, you know, my other guy uh, went the St. Andrews route and then was like, dad, I want to go to the OHL. And, you know, I said to him, okay, well, then you got to be straight up with coach Manning, tell him right away. And I said, you're not doing it on the phone. You're not doing it on a text. You're going to look him in the eye. And you're going to tell him, um, Which he did, and I'll give my 16 year old, like, and he said to me, Dad, that was the toughest thing I've ever done. um, Because Coach Manny is such a great human being um and then he's gone to Oshawa and oh my god like what a great Rocco Tulio that whole organization lights out like unbelievable how good they are and um you know he's getting 16 year old minutes which is right you know uh, they got Olison and Tulio and Roloffs and Harrison and, and they're pretty pretty strong up front so he's got to pay his dues and but the coaching staff like he loves Fozzie he loves uh Todd Miller um those guys are great so I really don't have to do much. You know, my fortunate part is, uh, I get to skate with my boys in the summer. Um, and that's where I really, really flourish. Uh, but right now, like, you know, Lisa, you know, she'll, she'll walk away for an hour now when I get to watch my boy on the internet here and she'll go, all right, I can't be around you. Um, so yeah, I suck. I basically suck as a hockey parent. So, uh, other than that, um, yeah, I love my boys. They're great. And, uh, they take care of me. Uh, but yeah, you are, there's no, if you're going to write a hockey book of not how to be a hockey parent, I'm probably your first interview. So, so yeah, that, uh, that's how it goes.
0: Real quick, just because it's connected, you were, you were ripping on Justin for those rancid feet earlier. Does he ever <laughs> get even a little bit of payback saying, Hey dad, third round, pal, you were drafted in a round that doesn't oh, even exist anymore in the NHL. It, it hasn't stopped. It has good. I got ripped in the OHL draft. It started
2: then. So it started two years ago and now NHL draft, like it is it. And it's, it's good. Like, I just walk out of the room. Like, it's true. I just walk out, he, he zings me and I go quiet and I'm like, yeah, all right, you got me. And uh, I leave the room. So it's not good when an 18 year old can uh, just zip you up and 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 really buckle you in a room and I just walk out. So, and then I come back with like some stupid comment. I'm like, Oh yeah, well, how many goals did you get in the OHL? And he's like, uh, dad, I never played in the OHL. So we can't do that. Right. And, and then I walk out again. So again, then just another example of how much I suck as a hockey parent. So my chirping skills have really decreased and they're very good chirpers at dad. Um, and especially when the three of them get together, it is just that I get beat. Like I get verbally beat. So, uh, Yeah, 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 and I'll yeah, you're right. I'll I'll pay for this, so it's all good. I got to get my shot in now because it's coming, right? It's coming, and uh, so yeah, they're twenty, eighteen, and sixteen. So it's um, I can't even like now like I can't beat them up anymore. Like it sucks. I just it's terrible. It's awful. So they 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 beat up dad and they beat me on the golf course now, and they beat me on the rink, and I can't play video games. I suck at that. So yeah, it's not uh, it's not good. It's I'm basically out to pasture. I'm just out in the field by myself. And uh, sometimes they throw me something just to kind of include me in a little thing. And then that's it. I'm out there by myself. It's good.
1: Between the three boys ripping you constantly, the things Torchy said on the phone today about you. And Billy McGuigan's text. You might need some new friends, or- <laughs> That's
2: why. I got, hey, why do you think Stewie's my counselor? It's not just that, right? So, no. Hey, I, I I joke about this all the time. It's probably the best thing. I I I you know this pandemic obviously is horrific. It's there's not a lot of good that came out of any of this pandemic, but the reconnections that have come uh, from that, and literally like uh, you know I got a Windsor Spitfires group chat, a UPI one, um, you know some other uh, ones that are uh, like just you know it's been amazing. And it's really been, you know, I was just—we were having a side chat uh, with one of the guys in the 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 junior chat, just saying, "My God, man! Like this is just like being in the dressing room, like it is, you know." And I always tell my boys, like, uh, you know, when a guy's ribbing on you, like that's that's special. Like, enjoy it. Like it's, uh, and that's, you know, I'm sure you hear it all the time on this. You know, it's that's what you miss. You you miss the bus. You miss the dressing room. Uh, You do miss the competition for sure. Uh, I miss going. I miss going into an opposing rink and, and, uh, you know, being, being, uh, and stuff and that kind of stuff. But you know, the, the one thing I do want to say, uh, we all know how difficult and the trauma that came from the tough guys. It, you know, (laughs) it's, it was terrible. It's been well-documented, all that stuff. But I will say I have a, a big love and respect for the rat because, you know, the, the difference between the rat and the enforcer is not everybody's going after the enforcer, right? So when I'm playing against Sean Antoski, I'm not going against Sean and because I know that's how that's going to go. I'm not going against Rick Elaine, but when you got the little rat out there, you know, the six foot six guy is coming at you and the five foot six guy is coming at you and everybody in between. So it wasn't, uh, you know, again, I'm not comparing myself to the enforcer role at all. Um, but it was, it wasn't, a, the easiest role either. Right? It wasn't a walk in the park. And, you know, when you look at your Kenny Linsman's and your, your Marshawn's now Marshawn's got an incredible skill and I'm not, I'm not even close to that. Uh, but when you look at just that ability to go in and have everybody hate you, but a majority of guys go, man, I wish that guy was on my team too. Um, that it's a, it's a really, it's a neat thing to, to experience, uh, but also a difficult thing because you don't. You know, there's two or three guys on each team that are going to go at each other, and that's it, right? That the dance is over. And then the rest of the guys are. But with the with the rat, everybody wants to get them, like everybody. And when you get them, the crowd loves you for it. Your team loves you for it. So, um, yeah, it was. Um, you know that that part of it. You know, along with the the chirping that uh, was nonstop. Um, you know that that part of it was uh, it, it was fun and it was difficult at the same time uh, because you know whether it was uh, you know mark montaneri coming at me or um you know whoever rob sangster uh, and everybody in between uh you know they were they were trying to rip your head off right and and, and rightfully so I, I i'm not saying i didn't deserve one second of it but yeah it was uh, it, it was tough uh, it, it's a tough part being the being the rat it's not it's not an easy role that's for sure and i i have a ton of respect for guys that, that do it you know i look at a, a brady stonehouse right now in ottawa he's not a very well-liked guy but my God, I love that kid. I love watching him. And you know, you look at your to Chucks and all those guys. Um, you know, it, it's it's tough. No, it's Chucks are they're a little different. They're tough. Um, I wasn't tough, so <laughs> it was good. It was fun.
0: I know we gotta let you watch your boys' game. And uh, Chris is always going to have you know just that one more question. But we'll I have to. Good. I got lots of time. It's okay. They're they're not starting for a bit, so it's all good. We just had Trevor Galant on the podcast. Yeah, I saw asked him asked him about you, and all he said was. He called me stinky. I don't know why. Why did you call T-Bone
2: stinky? I don't know if he had a toothbrush his first year. I'm not sure. I don't know if he owned one. I don't know. Uh, he always, you know, he, uh, no, you know what? He, uh, yeah, I don't know. He just had an odor about him. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. I'm not sure what it was, um, but you know what? He was, uh, he was awesome. Grant was such a good teammate too. Like, yeah. And holy frig, he could play for a little guy. He could fly um but yeah you know what trev was uh he was great he was great on the ice he was great off the ice and uh he he was a lot of fun and and uh yeah he he, he was good but yeah i don't know he just had a he had the i don't know he it wasn't as bad as my son's feet but it was bad it was bad it was uh, it was bad so really
0: nothing is as bad as justin's feet We have learned <laughs> that for sure i
2: know so he's probably going to be single now for a good two more years and that's good. And I can concentrate on his hockey career. So really I'm, I'm helping him. So you're, you're welcome, son. There you go. So I love it. Cause I got gross feet too. And I get burned for it all the time. So this is just like, I'm
1: getting chirped.
2: <laughs> I, I, I can't line, Mine aren't, mine aren't the prettiest either. So, uh, you know, I'm just trying to, I'm probably doing some deflection right now. So, uh, it's allowed. yeah, it's, it's not good. You know, when you're, when you're in skates basically five out of seven days at, at fifty-one years old, it's uh, it's it's not pretty. No, there's no winner. So, I do have a
1: last question, but I have a preamble to that question. You only played one game under him, but Chris McSorley in Toledo. Did you have <laughs> any run-ins with him? Per- <laughs> this is awesome. Okay, perfect. Because he's a bit oh. of a legend
2: in Switzerland. So, so this is a true story. So, Michael, remember this: we would come home for Christmas, um, and we would all, you know, it was don cherries, it was whatever he would do. So went out the night before with spotty um, this whole crew from St. Jerome's, like a a crew of crew um, had some fun. Uh, Get up in the morning, not feeling the best, um, get in the car, drive down to Toledo, just in street clothes uh, with my dad, just going down to talk, whatever. And um, stop. I'm, I'm, I'll be generous. I would say we got to the rink maybe an hour and a half before I would say an 15 minutes before we got the rink stop and just, I crushed, absolutely crushed some McDonald's, like crushed it. I was like Big Mac, quarter pounder, fries, crushed it. Get in there not feeling the greatest. You know, hey, Chris, sorry. Maybe we'll give you a tour of the room. You know, we'd love to have you come here, yada, yada, yada. And uh, he goes, uh, what are you doing tonight? I said, well, you know, I'm just here to watch the game. He goes, uh, you want to dress? I'm like, What? I don't have any equipment. I don't have skates. I have nothing. I have no equipment with me. Nothing. Night before, out just pounded back a gross amount of McDonald's. He goes, "I'll give you 350 cash. You just got to sit on the bench. We're afraid we might get in a brawl. Just need you to grab somebody." 350 US. I'm like, "You serious?" I'm like, "All right, sure, I'll do it." <laughs> so, that game, I'm wearing somebody else's clothes, like equipment and skates so if any you know you know anything about skates trying them on and you know you have your balance points you have a. am wearing them out the night before McDonald's just brewing in my belly and I'm out there and I'm like what am I doing what what am I doing and then all of a sudden we get in a little bit of penalty trouble and he starts playing me regular and I'm, like, I'm Bambi on ice out there all over the place it's a gong show I'm saying to the other guys please don't hit me I don't have anything on like this is none of this is my stuff. They're laughing at me. Right. And uh, it was, it was like, it was awful. I'm sure the people in Toledo were like, who is like, what? We're not really bringing this guy in. Right. It was a gong show. It was an absolute gong show. And I I remember I grabbed the 350 bucks out. And I said, I'm never coming back. (laughs) I walked out and I was, that was it. I wasn't coming back. I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe this story just happened. Got back in the car with my dad, drove back home from Toledo, back to Kitchener, 350 American in my pocket. And uh, that was it. That was the story. That was crazy. It was, it was nuts. Like, can you imagine trying to do that in today's, like just silly. But that's how it was. That's crazy. Yeah. That was my one game in Toledo. And Toledo was, they were tough and that rink was nuts. And I was like, well, this is crazy. This is this is unbelievable. So yeah, that's my that's my Toledo story.
1: I like that there was a Chris McSorley story, so I, I do appreciate that. The story I wanted to get out of you, though, was while you were at UPEI and you scored the championship goal, I believe, what were, there was quite the celebration, let's call it afterwards.
2: What on earth happened? That's the, that is the craziest hockey experience in my life. <laughs> so we're playing uh, University of Moncton. It's basically the Q versus the O. So we all know that love, there's no love lost between the Q and the O. So they're all guys that played in the Q that are at University of Moncton, French guys. We're mainly Ontario guys at UPEI. It's, uh, the winner of that one uh, is going on to play Acadia um, to go to the Nationals. And we know whoever wins. Uh, that is, we were, everybody was stacked on, on that time. Acadia actually went on to win the Nationals. We lost to them in overtime. Um, I may start drinking, talking about that. But anyways, um, we're in, we're in, we're out of our rink. I think they were hosting like the Scotties or something at the normal Char- where the Charlottetown Islanders play. So we had to play in this little <coughs> rink. I believe it was in Sherwood. It was probably six deep behind the net. Stands were full, uh, but it'd be like playing at um, Don McLaren. That's what it was like. So it was tiny, right? Jammed. So score. I shoot it, score. I know it's in. Play goes on for about 5, 10 seconds, jumping around, whatever. And they blow the whistle. They go to the uh, goalkeeper uh, and they um, – sorry, the goal judge. And he says, yeah, it's in. The ref gives a big emphatic point and then chaos, chaos. So the goalie comes out with his arms like this, wraps it around the ref. And then all of a sudden you see this and you see this and everybody's coming. So that in its own right goes chaos. I'm jumping around, you know, gloves are off. We won, we're going to uh, the finals to see who's going to the nationals. And then all of a sudden you just hear Bedlam screaming, get down there, help them, help them. And turn and I see, and all of their guys are in there and John Nelson gets in there. And, you know, all KJ White are all in there. They're breaking things up, grabbing certain guys. It wasn't a lot of punches thrown. But as I'm making my way down the ice, this was the scariest part of it that never really got enough coverage. The assistant coach from Moncton picks up one of the metal pegs and throws it through the back glass where all the people are. And if it had been eight inches lower and there was little kids back there, somebody would have got very, very hurt or worse. It was, and the glass shattered and it was, like everybody stopped for like two, three seconds. And it was like, what just happened? Right. And then it was, it's almost like, remember that cartoon where they'd stop and then they'd punch out and then they'd go again. That's basically what happened. And then everybody started going again. And, um, Ken Dryden actually came in and did an independent investigation of it. And they had like four or five guys suspended for like life, like five years. Um, it was, it was absolute chaos. Like it was, it was chaos. And I've never, been a part of uh, anything anything like that in my life and um security came on the ice fans were coming on the ice to and I believe it was Ronnie Carrier who was the referee and he didn't uh, he wasn't well after that for a bit it, it affected him uh affected him mentally and rightfully so um it was a, it was a very very it was an awful experience it was terrible and and, uh, I think I've said, sorry to Ronnie a few times after I was like, I could have maybe hit the mesh on that one, but, uh, yeah, I was, uh, it, it was, it was unbelievable, but to have like Ken Dryden come in and, and do the investigation on it. And, uh, it even made, uh, this hour has 22 minutes. They did a skit on it. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty big back then. And, uh, obviously a, a great experience and a terrible experience all,
0: all wrapped up in one. I couldn't resist sending Stewie a quick text because his name came up. And told him that, you know, he either needs to find better clients or he needs to become a better counselor. Because I got this this wingnut on the podcast. Anyway, he sa- he has nothing but love. He says, the dad has me as a counselor and the kids have me as an agent. So there you go. Get a better agent, Ertz. I don't even want to
2: see when I open up my phone what he's going to be saying. Here now <laughs> This isn't going to be good at all. And then once this airs, once the PIs get, boys get a hold of me, this is, I'm going through about, I'm going to tell you, I'm going through about 10 to 14 days of torture. This is going to be torture. <laughs> Now to be fair, we gave it to McWigan pretty good too. So we were like, oh a big hot shot, right? So um I've got my uh, I've got my comings uh coming really soon here. So it'll, it'll it'll be fun. So I love it. Yeah,
0: Stewie will be Stewie will be abusing me here soon on the phone. It'll be good. This has been so much fun. I can't believe we waited awesome. so long to do it. Honestly, like <laughs> we're, we're gonna have to get all of you PEI boys on at some point for a little reunion oh, or something. Yeah, it'll yeah, be fun.
2: Yeah, they they there's a hoot. There are a lot of good, God, a lot of good OHL guys that went out there. So uh, Jason Denemy is still out in PEI. Um, so yeah, there's another great one. I mean, Eric Lindos trade. He'd be a great one for you guys too. And uh, Deno's awesome, such a great guy. I Talked to him almost uh, every day, every second day. And uh, Kevin McDougall was out there uh, in PEI, and then KJ White, John Nelson, Jimmy Somnez, another Kitchener guy. Um, so yeah, it uh, it was a it was it was great times out there it was a, it was a lot of fun we had a good team we, we we met that one good run and uh it would have been it would have been nice but uh, Acadia was really good they had a lot of good OHL guys too so uh yeah it was it was great this has been great thanks Ertz thanks guys I really appreciate it thanks a lot for having me on hi I'm Logan Anderson host of the say the damn score podcast on my show I deep
1: dive into the sports broadcasting business by you guessed it talking to sportscasters